Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome. This is a living free show on 3CR, community radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Room Rations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling, and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guest is Jay. He's a member of Gamblers Anonymous, and he'll be sharing how GA has helped him to recover from compulsive gambling. So welcome to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. Uh, yeah, it's good, isn't it? So we usually start talking about you know growing up and what life's like and um, how you sort of found yourself on the path to becoming a gambler. So what was what was your early life like? Well, basically, I had a pretty standard Australian uh, childhood. I had three older siblings, grew up in uh, working class western suburbs, played football and cricket with all my mates. Um, and then about 13 years of age, ch- moved areas, still in the western suburbs, but uh, changed and had to change a whole friendship group be- because only my sis- one of my sisters and I moved there. And so it was all just different, all different people that I introduced to. And one of those in particular, on, on my right-hand side of my house, there was a 12-year-old that I met. And then on the left-hand side, there was a 14-year-old. And across the road was my probably my best friend, 13-year-old. So there's about 20 of us kids would play football and cricket after school every day. Yeah. Um, so what, what were your parents doing um, and, and what was life like? you know, for you early on, uh, sort of growing up? Um, well, my dad was a, a fitter and turner, so he would work 40-hour a week and also do as much overtime as he could because he had a reasonably large family, four kids growing up. My mum would work part-time in the chemist. And I guess once we, we did move, my mum stopped working. My dad continued to work and do as much overtime as he could to help support the family. Uh, but but on weekends it was sort of party central around my house for my mum and dad anyway. Uh, yeah. They would have friends over, uh, family members, relatives, uncles, aunts, etc. And there would always be lots of music, lots of drinking. Uh, yeah, and us kids would be left to ourselves basically. Right. So any problem drinking? Uh, look, yes, I, I would say so. I, I think they both overindulged nearly every weekend. Okay. What about gambling? Did they have any gambling problems? Uh, look, growing up, I didn't notice any any gambling problems. They would always have a bet on the um, on the cups and all that. My dad would have a, I guess, what you'd, the old days you'd call a daily double or something every yeah. every Saturday afternoon. He'd walk down and have his bet, but um, but my dad would go missing uh, for overnight sometimes, and it was only a little bit later on we we found out. You know, he was going down to um, the local. I guess gambling places at the, at the time there was no legal gambling. It was these poker halls, if you like, and yeah. he was playing cards and billiards for money. Yeah, uh, whether it was part of an addiction or not, I don't know. It, it's hard to say, but they certainly did have uh, issues once the pokies were introduced in '91. Yeah, okay. Um, so with your parents away from home, um, working and stuff, so life was pretty free and easy for you. It was. My, my older sister was sort of the um, parent, if you like. Uh, yeah. She 
cooked meals, cleaned, took care of us, made sure we were all safe pretty much. Uh, yeah, when my mum and dad weren't there, my mum would cook meals as well. But, uh, yeah, when she was working or, or she wasn't there, and certainly on weekends my sister took took over the role. Took control, so. yeah, okay. Uh, so what was it like at school? Did you enjoy school? I did. You know, look, I was a bit of a troublemaker in primary school. I'd often be in the principal's office, and that's about the only time my mum would come to the school, uh, which was every second day because she worked three doors from the primary school. Um, but once I started in the high school, look, I never had any issues with doing the work. At, in fact, it was probably the opposite. I, I found the work very easy, and then I would set about distracting others and being a bit of a troublemaker and you know, having a bit of fun. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of a larrikin at the time. Right, okay. Um, and so how did you get introduced to gambling? Well, again, that was when we moved. It was about 1979. I was uh, 13 years old at the time. Uh, my next-door neighbour, the 12-year-old, believe it or not, he introduced me to gambling. I, I, I'd always go in a sweep with my mum and dad at Melbourne Cup time, but I, after the football season was over, because I'd play football, he would have me over, and his mum and dad would bet on the races every Saturday. Yep. And he had his own phone account as well. Wow. Uh, at 12 years of age. I yeah. think it was in his mum's name, but yes. it yeah. was his phone account effectively. So he introduced me and allowed me to have a bet on that. And, of course, the first bet I ever had, I won, and I thought this was the best thing since wow. sliced bread. Uh, for a 50-cent outlay, I won about $16 back wow. in 1979. That was a lot for a 13-year-old. <laughs> also. Um so did you did you get hooked at that point, or was it just a something to do? No, look, it, it was pretty much something to do. And I guess it was an off-season thing because football was my mainstay, if you like, during football season, going to uh, VFL back then and playing football. Uh, during the summer, we would play cricket after school and things like that. But on the weekends, I, I wasn't part of a competition, cricket competition, so... I'd have time to myself, and, and that was his big thing. He also had a table tennis table and a billiard table, so his was yeah. a great place to be around. His mum and dad had bowls of lollies all around the house, yeah. so it was great to be there. And so I just got sort of went along with the flow of having a bet, but it wasn't a, an important part of my life, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. So did you sort of keep it up? Uh, only with him, and then so, uh, unfortunately he lost his mother, and he sort of became a recluse. So I walked away from it, just spent time with other friends, you know, playing sports and doing things that 14, 13, 14, 15-year-olds would do. Um, until such a time, I think it was about 16, uh, again, the, the, the summer, the, the spring carnival would come along and, and he had sort of recovered from, I guess, his depression, if you like, that he went through after losing his mum and he got me back into it, if you like. And, yeah, from there, it, it sort of... Again, it wasn't that important because at that age I was also being introduced to sort of girls and parties and things like that. So there were more important things in my life than gambling at that point in time. So did you stop gambling or just... I wouldn't say stop gambling. I would only gamble when I'd have, uh, I guess, the opportunity to. I didn't have that many opportunities, fortunately, at the time. Yeah. Well, I guess you're underage, so it was was a bit more difficult. Well, it wasn't that difficult because that was about the time when tabs were introduced into pubs, and I was going to pubs at about 16, and they had tabs, and and there was no – I mean, the rules were there, but no one uh, kept the rules up. I was in there drinking and gambling at 16, so. Yes, I see. Um, So was drink also a problem for you? Uh, Look – 
I don't. I didn't think so. Um, all the social group I was with at sixteen, seventeen, we all drank. Uh, we all went to parties and we would drink lots. Uh, only on the weekends. Never really drank during the week. Uh, it yeah. wasn't a. It didn't appear to me at the time that it was a big problem. I drank to be one of the social crowd. Yeah. Um, that's about it. That's all I saw at the time. Yeah. So did you have self-esteem issues? I certainly did. Um, I think that's why I drank as much as I did. I, I wanted to get the reputation of being the biggest drinker, if you like, because yeah. I, I was I had self-esteem issues around girls and, and I found it hard to talk to girls on a relationship, intimate sort of level. I didn't yeah. have the confidence in myself. Right. Okay. Um, so did anything change once you became legally able to gamble? Oh, I certainly did. Uh, again... Uh, they they had a bit more restrictive rules when it came to nightclubs and such. And once I turned eighteen, we go to nightclubs, my friends and I. But we go to the pub first, and they'd, like I say, there was pub tabs. And what I found is that I'd be spending a lot more time watching watching the races and, and betting on the races than I was actually having a drink with the friends and, and talking to girls and things like that. And by the time we were going into the nightclubs and that, I was out of money. I had spent all my money on yeah. gambling and had to. I, I was embarrassed and I'd asked my friends uh, to lend me money. And fortunately in those days, once the races were over about 10 o'clock at night, there was nothing else to bet on. Yeah. So they, they wouldn't have any hesitation because they know it would only be going on good things yeah. like drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worthwhile. <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess given that, you were able then to, to have a sort of a normal social life after the gambling was was off. Mm. So did that did that change anything for you, or did you? Well, were you still thinking about the gambling? Uh, look, I, I think about the losses, I guess, and and it did play on my mind more. And I guess it did because what would then happen is because if I borrowed X amount of dollars, come Monday I'd be working to try and repay that money, and. It didn't take long till I was basically spending my whole pay over a Friday and Saturday and then borrowing the money to get me through to the next pay when I'd repay that money. And, and it was becoming a vicious cycle, if you like. Yeah. Um, and I was doing less socialising uh, because of it. And then I was encouraging my friends to socialise at home where it was cheaper to, to get some beer and, and yeah. play cards at home rather yeah. than go out to, um, to a nightclub. So did they fall for that? Yeah, look, they, my friends all bet as well. They all they yeah. all gambled as well. So playing cards wasn't a big. It was good yeah. fun, and, and we never took it seriously. Playing cards, we were playing for twenty cents or something like that. So yeah. it wasn't. It was just fun, and we used to you know take the Mickey out of each other and drink lots, and yeah. you know my mum and dad get involved, and family and friends. You know, could have fifteen people playing, and it was a big social thing, party yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so did you have money problems? Um, look, I always paid my bills. Uh, I always paid for things first, and then anything else that was left, I would spend, whether it be you know, mostly on gambling and trying to ha- be able to still socialise and have a drink and that. Yeah, yeah. So who did you um, – so did you have to borrow money often? Yes, every week, every single week. I, wow. I would go through my money. Occasionally, you know, I didn't like borrowing off my friends because I was embarrassed to show how, I guess, how weak I was at, at not being able to control my gambling in front of my peers. Uh, but I was happy to ask my mum all the time. My mum always lent me the money. Um, she would 
she wouldn't give me too hard a time over it, and she would yep. always. And then I would just pay her out of my pay, and then you know I'd run out of money by the weekend and borrow more money, and then repay it. But always, you know, if I ever had loans or, or paid board and things like that, I always paid everything up front. I guess I kid, kidded myself that I was very responsible in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were in a way, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so were you embarrassed at, at losing? I was um, because. My friends, as I say, all, all my friends basically gambled, and, and some of them actually knew their stuff about horses. One grew up in the country and, and knew a lot about horses, and he often won money. And um, he would tell me things, and I would think I, I, I would know better, and then all of a sudden I'd be kicking myself for not listening to him, and I'd be embarrassed about it and say, oh, no, no, I've done all right, I've done all right. No, no, the lies would start, you know, I've done all right until I needed to borrow money and say, oh, I just missed out or I lost money or, you know, any excuse would do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Once the lying starts, it's all over. <laughs> You're not wrong there. <laughs> um, so if, if you weren't – if you are gambling on horses and you weren't looking at the form guide and you didn't really know who, who was going to win – why were you gambling? You know, Bill, I don't know that I could ever explain that. Um, uh, I think it was mostly to be just have my mind elsewhere. Uh, again, maybe the self-esteem issues, uh, maybe escapism. I don't know what it was, but I just needed to, and, and I was the worst punter in the world. I just had to have, I didn't care if it was 50 cents on every single race. As long as I had a bet in every race, yeah. I, I was alive, if you like, Um that that just gave me that sense. Yeah, well, we've had a previous. I had a previous guy on the show who said he'd often bet on a race, and before he even knew the outcome, he'd be as soon as he'd put the bet on, he'd be focusing on the the bet after that. Mm-hmm. Were you a bit like that? Uh, no, I actually focused on the race. Once yeah. I put the bet on, I, I'd be riding it to the end, but. I'd be running over to, to fill in the forms or, or that for the next race. Uh, it wasn't as big a problem when I was younger because the the races were fairly widely spaced back then, but yeah. oh, I'd hate to be doing now because there's races every 10 seconds or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's very frequent. Um, okay. Um, so if you're using the form guide, what was that just for show? Look, it wasn't, it wasn't. I, I would read things in there that I thought, okay, that makes sense to me. I'll read the comments at the bottom of the, the, the horse's form and think, oh, I can use my wisdom to do it. But it rarely worked. Where others could read in between the lines, if you like. I, yeah. I couldn't read in between the lines. I, I kidded myself that I knew what I was doing yeah. and I pretended to everyone else that I knew what I was doing, but I didn't. Yeah, okay. Um, so if you didn't win very often... What what was the winning feeling like when you did? Uh, it, it was great because I would make sure everyone knew about it for a start. So I would sort of big note myself, um, and I'd share the wealth. You know, if, if I had a good win, I would I would be celebrating, buying everyone drinks. You know, let's go out and do this, do that. So it was really uh, that all empower, all powerful feeling, if you like, of being able to do what all my you know some of the others would do anyway, um, more regularly than me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I notice all the, um, the the gambling ads on TV focus on the winning. They don't focus on anything else. It's just you know, <laughs> somebody who's won. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's not uh, uncommon. Uh, so if you didn't have a lot of money, were you able to be independent and living on your own? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I, I live with 
uh, my mum and dad up until uh, I moved with a couple of friends up to Darwin, and that was not long after the introduction of pokies in Victoria because I I guess I, I knew that my money was going. Um, I worked across the road from the casino, and, uh, yeah, I was spending too much time in, in pokey and casino venues. and So I moved with a couple of friends up to Darwin, um, where we were out of town, if you like, and it wasn't as big an issue there. Still bet on the races and such. Yep. I actually worked at the local pub tab. Okay. <laughs> uh, and was that a problem? It, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, because the three of us lived together. We all gambled uh, on races. Um, we all drank beer. And so I was working at the local hotel in the bottle shop, and which had the TAB. Uh, the other friend was a forklift driver, and the other one was keeping home, if you like. And yeah. uh, So my pay would go on the tab at the pub. So anything from the bottle shop and the TAB, that was my pay gone for yep. all three of us, though. Yep. We shared. It was communal. My yep. other friend would pay the rent, he would buy all the food, and the other one would take care of all the business at, at home. So yep. we had a really great lifestyle at the time, but, you know, uh, it, it was a, we, we were never going to get anywhere. We were no. just yeah. surviving and, and having fun. Yeah. Um, so did you know anybody who got sort of caught up in that initial pokies introduction? Um, look, certainly, I, I, not initially, my mum and dad would go to the pokies more often because they used to go up to the border okay. um, yep. on occasion, but because they were in, in the state, they would go more often. And then probably by the time my dad retired, it became an issue for him for certain, uh, not, not as much for my mum, but definitely my dad. I think he had a big issue with it. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so we might take a break there. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at the station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm Bill and I'm talking with Jay about recovery from compulsive gambling with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, so Jay, we I think we left you in Darwin in a share house. <laughs> so how did that work out? Uh, look, I was there for a while but uh, the, the honest truth is the drinking became too much. It was an everyday thing up there. Uh, I worked at the local hotel and it was just drinking every day and, and I, I realised this is too much and I decided to come back to Melbourne, tail between the legs and go back to mum and dad's. Yep, okay. So um, what did you do in Melbourne? So when I got back, I obviously had to get a job. So I uh, turned to my uh, next-door neighbour, the one that introduced me to gambling, and, and he got me a, a job at a local business in Melbourne. And from there, I, I was successful at that, became a supervisor in that role. Uh, but the gambling also increased because I was spending a lot more time with him and other gamblers. The, the whole workplace basically gambled. And I found that... The money I was making wasn't enough to um, fulfil my gambling need, so I guess I turned to small crime, if you like, through the workplace, um, pilfering from work and, and getting extra money to gamble f- from there. 
at the time, unbeknownst to me, my uh, my supervisor and manager and department manager, they were all gamblers. Everyone was a gambler there, and they were also doing the same thing, but at a large, much larger scale than I was. And uh, I guess it was after about six to eight months, it all came to a head, and, and obviously the business owners found out that there was a lot of things going missing. Yep. And the police were called and such, and they asked me about it, and, and I admitted what I had done, but I didn't have any idea about what else was going around the place. Um, mine was small potatoes compared to everyone else. Doesn't make it any more right, but um, they said to me, when when they realised I wasn't involved in anything else, they, they just gave me the sack, basically. Uh, so from there, I just went from job to job, just you know, anything that, where I could earn income, keep yep. gambling, just getting by. You know, yep. That's all I was really doing until such time, I guess, I realised that I needed to sort out my life a little bit and, and move forward in my life, which was probably about my late 20s to early 30s and, and decided that I'm going to start looking for a relationship, um, settling down, uh, getting married, children yep. and the whole thing yep. so that that was i guess my decision so I, I wound back the gambling a lot at that time yeah so how how did you manage to wind it back what was your what was your strategy at that point i guess the the near miss um of you know actually doing something illegal yes. uh not getting caught getting away with it if you like um uh, maybe it woke me up a little bit at that time and i thought uh, i was still gambling but uh, no, not to the same extent. You know, I was getting other jobs, and I was just using my spending money to gamble. Yeah, uh, but still gambling. Yeah. So you had no other real life apart from gambling. Uh, gambling and work, work to yeah. s- supply the gambling, basically, yeah. and, and drinking. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd drink every weekend, sort of thing. Um, whilst I was gambling, it was it was all encompassing. Yeah. Did that affect your judgment? The gambling certainly did. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I guess you know when I was out. And as I said before, if I had a win, it would be all powerful, sort of. You know, I'd feel on top of the world. It wouldn't happen too often, (laughs) but but I would certainly feel on top of the world. So you know, I I would be very um, boisterous about it. Yeah, let people know. Yeah, Yeah. which affected my judgment then as well. (laughs) Okay, right. Um, So, what what sort of things did you did you change in your lifestyle that um, enabled you to, yeah? to commit that change well i found a a partner and uh we started dating and she had a a son and um it didn't take long and we decided we were going to get married and and start a family together as well um and then we discussed it and she said look you know you you you're making enough money but don't you want a career so i decided to go back and study at university and and build an actual career rather than just changing from job to job to job you know yeah. uh so i actually worked i, I was studying full-time and working two part-time jobs and had wow. uh, a baby and a 10 year old boy to look after at the time um so i i didn't have much time to gamble at the time but you know what i still found it <laughs> i would finish like i was a bouncer in a nightclub and i'd finish at three o'clock in the morning but the pokies were probably out until four so i'd spend wow. that next hour saying oh, i was just having drinks with the boys when i in fact i was gambling or, or you know uh, yeah. any opportunity i had because i also you know in one of the roles i'd make a bit of cash money as well um and so you know what the wife didn't know didn't hurt so to speak yeah so i would use that any opportunity i had yeah so, so it's still a problem yeah so you work uh, you 
new profession was fulfilling? Certainly was. Um, look, the study was great. When I first started in, in my new profession, I, I was really successful at it. Uh, it was very challenging. It was exciting. It was great probably for the first year and a half maybe. Um, and then the challenges diminished and it became a little bit mundane, if you like. For me at the time, I wasn't getting – I was working in a large firm, so there was a long way to go up the ladder and you, you had to sit at certain points. And then uh, my wife wasn't happy. I, my wife wasn't happy where we were living, so we returned back to where we had come from. And I got another role, and it wasn't the same role. I actually still enjoyed the other role. But when I became bored at work, I'd go to the pokies at lunchtime. I'd go to pokies at morning tea. I actually got to the point where I'd get the, um, the TAB screen up on my computer screen in a small corner of the computer and be betting on the races while I was working. Uh, I was very yep. multi-skilled. <laughs> <laughs> Multitasking to its limit. Right. Um, so did your wife realize that you were gambling more and was it was it a point of conflict uh look she she definitely knew i was gambling more and it, i guess it was the money side of it wasn't the point of conflict it was the time um she wouldn't know the money side of it because i controlled all the finances and it wasn't yep. because i was controlling it, it was just uh, that was your just skill. my role if you yeah. like yeah. and um so I would control the finances. Uh, everything, like early in my life, everything was paid. All the bills were always paid. We never wanted for anything except holidays and all the extra stuff that you work to get, savings, yeah. you know, yep. deposit Missed for that. a home, things yeah. like that. All you know? those things, yeah. Uh, the unimportant things, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but the time, I think the time was the factor. By that time, you know, Sunday racing was well and truly taken off. So Saturdays and Sundays from yeah. 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night, yeah. I was disengaged from the family. I would still, you know, have a kick with the sun, but I'd have the radio on listening to the race in, in one ear and, and trying to talk to him about football or that in the other. And, yeah. and yeah, she noticed the difference and she wasn't happy about it. No, okay. Um, so you, you changed jobs a few times. So were you able to settle down in that new job? Um, in the role, yes. Unfortunately, um, my ex-wife now, um, she couldn't settle in one place uh, we moved around a lot in our married life probably in 10 years or so 13 different moves uh, yeah. which was far too many for yeah. children and, and things like that so it was hard for me to get into a job and, and settle in a job and, and I finally did and because some of the moves we made were in similar region and uh, the one role I held for I guess nearly 10 years uh, and it was a it was a good role, good paying role. Uh, there was there was a lot of good things about that role. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, how did when did gambling start accelerating for you? Beyond you know to the point where it was took up more and more of your time and, it, and started affecting your work. Um, okay. So when I guess by the time after our second separation my ex-wife and i and i was really unhappy at home but i'm not blaming her or a lot of it had to do with my gambling probably but um i, I was really unhappy so it, it accelerated and i would take every opportunity like i had before but I, there was no control this time you know yes i would have the money for the bills but i would spend that money and then i would borrow from friends 
to pay the bills and then I'd be chasing my tail. And as I say, I was earning reasonably good money um, and everything I had that wasn't paid on bills was going in, in mostly into the pokies by this stage. Um, however, even then, if I had money for bills and I had a day's grace, I would try and chase the money with that bill money. If I, yeah. I knew I had one reliable friend that I knew I can guarantee I can get money off every time. Uh, unfortunately, I would lie to him and, and manipulate him and do whatever it took to get that, which I hated doing. I'm pretty sure he knew, but he was just that loyal a friend that, yeah, you know, some would say he was enabling, but I don't blame. That it's not. He was just a loyal friend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how that would work. Right. So did you would was your wife a gambler, or did did she appreciate your problem? Uh, definitely not. She was a gambler at one stage. She she admitted that she had a problem with gambling. Um, she was very unhappy, but it was a lot to do with other external circumstances. So she turned to gambling. Uh, for a short period, maybe six to 12 months, and was losing a lot of money herself. But she, I don't know that she was a compulsive gambler as such. She had a problem at that time, but she resolved it herself. And she's never, she's, I think she's detested gambling ever since. So I'm sure. I, I yeah. don't think it's really ever going to be an issue for her. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, she definitely didn't uh, like gambling. Yeah. So, did you, were you forced to seek help? about your gambling or did you do it voluntarily? Uh, no. Initially, you know, we were at a crossroads and, and I agreed to go to Gambler's Help. Um, that was probably about 10 years ago uh, to try and get some help because uh, we just we weren't getting anywhere. Unfortunately, uh, I, I would go to Gambler's Help and often I'd go to the pokies on the way out of Gambler's Help because I found it wasn't helping at all. Uh, it certainly, it, it was like you know, putting a Band-Aid over a 12-stitch wound. It just yeah. wasn't helping. Uh, I was getting to go and talk to someone, but you know, I wasn't really listening to anything. And all I cared about was getting out, because I had some free time, getting out to gamble straight after. Okay, so it had no visible impact on you at all? Uh, only that my wife, my wife at the time knew I was going to Gambler's Help, yeah. and... She, that kept her happy, which so kept, kept me happy. Relationship. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so how long did you do that for? Five years. Five years. Five wow. years. Yeah. <laughs> of keeping up the pretense of, of going and getting help and, um, and you know, pretending that it was making a difference when it wasn't. Wow. Mm. Yeah. That's a lot, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I guess that's the, the level of denial in real terms. That, oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. I... Um, Look, I knew I had a problem, but I, I didn't want to solve it at the time. I, it was my escape. I was very unhappy in my life, and, and yeah. it was my escape. So why, why would I throw something that I relied upon? Out. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, listen, we'll take another break. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11 a.m. with me, Gavin Moore giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. 
We've got over f- 110 episodes of the show available as podcasts. Uh, they're from you can get them from our website 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. Uh, if you want to send us a message, you can either ring us on 3CR 9419 8377, or you can email us at 3CR living or you can follow us on Twitter as 3CR Living Free. I'm talking with Jay, and we're talking about recovery from compulsive gambling with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so, Jay, I think we um, left you with Gamblers Help. Uh, you said you'd been there for about five years. So what happened after that? Well, uh, all that time, my, my gambling was getting worse, and I was borrowing and borrowing and borrowing more money. And I borrowed more than I ever believed I could repay to be quite honest, and I got to a desperate point. So I made the decision to stop gambling myself. Um, that was probably about June, about five years ago. I stopped for about three months, and I was very proud of myself at the time. Yep. Um, but it came to the spring carnival, and it succumbed quite easily. I was getting uh, emails from corporate bookmakers offering me free bets of $500 and that. And so I took it up, and, and I said, oh, well, I'm going to teach them a lesson. And I did. I, I you know made double the money and, and then – Thought I'd take it out, and but anyway, it just yeah. the, the addiction got came back in and just grabbed me and took hold of me even worse. And so for the next uh, period, I was gambling back in the throes of, of, as much as ever, and the the debt was getting bigger and bigger. So how did you fund that? Uh, borrowing, uh, yeah. I borrowed money uh, and just continued to borrow and borrow and borrow, and you know I was just borrowing from one to repay the other and then borrowing and and the debt was getting more and more and as I said I I got to the point where I just truly didn't believe I could actually repay it I thought you know I'm going to have to go bankrupt or something like that and uh, I didn't want to go down that path yeah Um, simple as that but you know that's that was what I was looking at at the time so where did you turn next well, the next thing I turned to was uh, my, my ex-wife was would go to church, so I turned to her pastor and I talked to him because he was also the father of a friend, son's of mine's friend, and spoke to him. And I wasn't quite happy with his answers, to be quite honest. He he said that I should just uh, stop and um, and tell everyone the truth about myself, and I, that wasn't the solution I was looking for. Uh, so I then turned to my GP because I really trusted my GP and I really knew I needed help. Yep. I just I, I had to stop and I just didn't know how to do it on my own. And my GP actually referred me to a book called Clean by David Sheff. It's about drug addiction, actually, uh, but he said it's also about addiction. My GP explained to me that addiction is actually an illness, even gambling addiction. He said it's been recognised in the United States as an illness and um, it can be treated as such. And I had always, I had never believed it was an illness. I always thought it was just a weakness. It was yeah. a weakness in me. Simple as that. Yeah. And with my self-esteem <laughs> issues, you know, it was easy to believe. And but I listened to him and I read the book. And, and chapter seven in that book was specifically about addiction, not necessarily to drugs. And it hit home. It really resonated. It was like they were talking about me in the book. Uh, everything in there just described me to a T. And I thought. This is me. Maybe it's not just me. Maybe it is an illness. Maybe there is light at the end of the tunnel because I, I just couldn't see any beforehand. And um, so I, I got through my own volition. I, I looked up Gamblers Anonymous and found the local meeting and just went. I, I just simply went. I bit the bullet. I told my uh, wife at the time, I'm going to. And she she was shocked. 
Um, I'm sure. I, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I had stopped going to Gambler's Help, obviously. But And I went there and, yeah, that's, that was about four years ago now, uh, just over four years ago. And I walked in the doors. I, I, I guess I was a little bit fortunate because I, I – really believed it was an illness at that stage. Uh, the, my mindset had changed in that couple of weeks from seeing my GP, um, and I walked in there with the right attitude, I think. So what did you hear when you got there? Well, I got there. I was the youngest member there, and <laughs> surprise, surprise. I, I wasn't that young. <laughs> uh, there, was, there was a number of older people there, and... I felt very, I was very ashamed of, of some, a lot of my gambling stories, but one in particular revolved around my dad when, when he was ready to pass. And uh, I'd go and visit him at the hospital, and rather than spending time with him, I'd spend five minutes with him and then go off and gamble because I had free time again. That free time, the time was the real essence in gambling. It's not the money, it's the time that's a, that you really have to find. So it was an opportunity, and it, but it was an opportunity lost for me and I felt so ashamed about it once my dad passed. And that first night at, at my meeting, um, just having a cup of coffee at the break, break uh, one of the members there he came up just <laughs> and he just told me his story and it was exactly the same as mine except he would go gambling before he saw his dad dying in the hospital yeah. where I would go after it and and I just it, it made me feel that I wasn't alone and I wasn't the most useless person on the earth I, yeah. I really felt the worst person in the world and I realized I wasn't alone in being the worst person in the world yeah. I thought we we're all in the same boat you know yeah. but but through going to Gamblers Anonymous, I real we, we, we do have that common theme. We, we are the worst liars. We are the worst cheats. We are the worst gamblers, you know. Um, but the forgiveness, forgiving ourselves is the key. You have to forgive yourself before you can recover. And that really helped me knowing that, you know, I wasn't the worst person in the world because I really felt that way about myself. So it helped me recover and it helped me go forward with Gamblers Anonymous. Yeah. So did you find it helped the fact that you understood the illness? Oh, absolutely. The, the, the fact that I accepted it was an illness and yeah. it wasn't just a weakness in me. Yeah. Um, if, if you've got an illness, sometimes it can't be cured. Yeah. But it, it, it can be, you know, the symptoms can be treated. Arrested, uh, sometimes yeah. it can be cured, you know. So yeah. my mindset had changed. All of a sudden it was an illness. If it's an illness, it can be treated. And I, I think I had found the right treatment yeah. uh, by going to Gamblers Anonymous because the like-minded people all around the table, um, all all going through the same. And, and people there, you know, some people had been there for 17 years at the time yeah. and 17 years of not gambling I just couldn't believe it I, you know, I, I thought is this possible for me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and so what's it like for a new person going into Gamblers Anonymous that being accepted when you've never when your actions have never really been you've always been the pariah so what's mm. it like being accepted uh, look it was euphoric that's the best way to describe it I would come out of my first meetings there and I would be over the moon I would just have this glow feeling through me and i'd be feeling on top of the world i'd get home i would describe it to my wife at the time and she would hate me for it <laughs> effectively yeah. because she still felt like crap basically yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she didn't think it was fair that i should feel good about myself uh, she thought i should feel bad about myself which can be understandable but yeah. you, you can't recover if you're feeling bad about yourself that's no. half the problem in the first place no. <laughs> you've got to have hope yeah 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 uh, so did that lead to an increased conflict with your wife, the fact that you felt you were getting better and you were, you'd forgiven yourself? Yeah, look, initially it did. When I would come home, your she didn't like that and such. But 
not only that, it wasn't only that, I guess, it was also mm. by not gambling and by getting the help that I, I also started seeing a psychologist as well to, to help me externally from the gambling. But I talked, I, I was talking honestly to people for a change. I'd never been honest in my life and, and all of a sudden I was being honest and I was unloading, you know, yeah. and I felt great mm. all the time. And, and, you know, my ex-wife couldn't understand it probably, didn't like it. Didn't want to hear she, it. Yeah, because yeah, she felt I'm the one and which is fair enough from her point of view, but, you know, it, it certainly led to realising that I wasn't in the relationship that I wanted to be in. Yeah, okay. Um, so did it lead to any sort of conflict between the two of you? Did you decide to do things differently? Yeah, we separated again and but remained friends at the time and then we sort of gave it one last go of getting back together but we made an agreement that if it wasn't going to work, it wasn't going to work and, and I was gamble-free at this time so I was yeah. a lot clearer of mind and it wasn't working so we, yeah. we had agreed to separate so we separated and... Um, I guess four months after separation, because you know, I, I met, I guess, the love of my life now, uh, yep. my new wife, and yep. um, I, I was fortunate enough. The first thing I, well, almost the first thing I'd done was be completely honest with her. Told her about my addiction. Told her everything. Yep. You know, um, it wasn't the first time <laughs> I yep. met her, but certainly it was within a very short period of time. I was openly honest with her um, because I thought I'm going to build this relationship on trust and honesty. Yep. And how did that feel? Oh, it was it was scary. It was so scary. Um, I was literally in tears when I was talking to her. As I'm tearing up now, yeah. even thinking about it, but because yeah. uh, I, I honestly felt that she wouldn't want to stay with me. I, yeah. I thought she would kick me to the curb, basically. Uh, but she didn't. She's been fully supportive. Uh, we've got a great, honest, open relationship, and it's fantastic. Yeah. So, have you had any challenges being a GA? Uh, look, yeah, I, I did. I, I had a lapse after about 18 months. Um, and I call it a lapse and not a relapse because I I turned to gambling again. Whatever, I don't even know what the reason was at the time. Uh, I gambled. I'm sure it was just stress or something in my life. I've had a lot of stress since I separated and that. Yeah. Uh, but I did turn to gambling briefly, a few days is what I'm when I would say briefly it was for a few days, maybe a week, but realised how stupid I was being and, and went straight back to the meeting and was open and honest with the fellowship, admitted it to everyone, said, you know, and so maybe the pastor in the first place saying admitting it to people wasn't yeah. too far off the mark. But yeah, yeah. at the time it didn't yeah. sound right. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, I, I did I, I went back to the meeting and I admitted it and then um I did have another lapse about oh, a year and three months ago, and it was one day. I was on the way home from work, and I don't know. Again, I was under a lot of stress at the time, but I got home and I told my wife about it immediately, told my meeting about it immediately, and haven't looked back since. Right. Okay. That's good. Um, yeah, it's funny that talking about your uh, your religious leader who was interested in getting you to admit it and be open and honest and stuff like that because the 12-step programs are based on a on a Christian faith originally and that's why there's so much you know talk of God and stuff like that in the in the steps which puts a lot of people off but it's it's about it's about the openness and honesty with people more than anything else and and being part of society again coming back into society mm-hmm. which is good yeah so how did you consolidate GA into your life? 
Well, look, on what you were just talking about, honesty. I'm honest with 99% of the time. And if it's if I'm not being honest, it's normally about you know, keeping a secret from my wife what her present is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but realistically, I also took up I, – I was – spoken to by senior members of my fellowship about taking over the role of secretary of the fellowship, yeah. uh, which I did do after I made the qualifying period, if you like, and I'd mm. done that for 12 months, and it was very enriching. It was, it was, it was great to be able to do that. And then I, we also started getting young people coming into our fellowship, and as I said, I was the youngest one when I started, but then we were getting a few more younger people, and one in particular I encouraged to take over the role from me, yeah. a secretary, and he would have been in his early 20s, if that. Um, and he did, even though he was shy and the most introverted person, but he, he took it on, and, and then all of a sudden young people were coming to our meetings and not leaving after one meeting. Yeah. They were seeing that there was someone at the head of the table that was there of their generation, their age group, knowing yeah. that the online gambling problem that it is nowadays, it wasn't like that when I was that age. So um, they they could relate to him more. So we've, we've gotten a lot more younger people that the, the problem's a lot worse nowadays because gambling is everywhere all day and night, seven days a week. Um, yeah. So that was great. And then I, I also moved on to uh, also representing my fellowship in the regional office. Um, and I'm also on the annual conference committee for Gamblers Anonymous for the our annual conference next year. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a good feeling to get involved because you feel part of something worthwhile. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the reward you get from knowing that you're helping other people and, and yeah. trying to give them the rewards that you've received by being part of this fellowship. Yeah. Uh, so what's sort of the age range in, in your, your groups? Well, I, I can... Over the last two months, we've had from as young as maybe 18 to as old, I think our oldest member's getting close to 80. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a a diverse problem in society. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Men, women, uh, yeah. girls, boys, you know, it's, you know, and we've had, you know, parents and children coming together where they've both got the problem. Yeah. Parents bringing children because they've got the children bringing parents. It's, it's widespread and, and really... The amount of numbers we've got could be a hundred times, and it still wouldn't cover the problem. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like that with all the <laughs> with all the addictive problems. That yeah, it's mm. it's an endemic endemic issue, uh, but people don't see it as a problem until it causes real strife. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, help, helping other people identify the problem, how does that make you feel? Sort of going from somebody who really wasn't contributing to somebody who can actually give back. Uh, look, uh, I've, in life I've actually given, believe it or not, I, I, I volunteer often because I, I do like helping people. But now I get a, a better feeling out of it because I know I'm helping people that need help. I'm also, you know, I volunteer at our church for different things. I, I, I try to, I try to put myself out there as much as possible because, a, I've got time now because I don't gamble anymore. <laughs> that helps, although I still seem very busy. But you know, I, I, I don't put myself first. I really don't. I. I I look at things and see if there's a need for help and I, I try to help, simple yeah. as that. And, and it makes me feel wonderful and I encourage anyone out there, if you can help people, the the feeling you'll get is unbelievable. Yep, okay. Um, okay, well, listen, um, if anybody would like to find out a bit more about Gambles Anonymous and how they can help you, um, you can phone them on 303 or you can go online at gaustralia.org.au 
And on their website, they've got a list of um, GA meetings that are near to you if you want to make contact with a meeting. Uh, well, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Jay for coming to 3CR Studio and sharing his Gamblers Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bill, for having me. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from problem drinking and we'll be joined by Annie from Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, stay tuned now for more great radio on 3CR. Thanks again for listening today. And to take us out, we've got a song called Homesick by Adelita. I love